Welcome to the latest episode of the Connection miniseries, Who We're Becoming. Today, we interviewed Jeff Fuller with a couple of people who know him really well, Kirsten Woodward and John Sperry, who both worked with him for several years while he was principal at Agnes Stewart. So special conversation with people that have seen Jeff and, and watched him change and grow over the years. In this first part, because this will be a two-parter, we discuss our picks of the week, so fun segment there, enjoyed that. We talk about the importance of vulnerability, especially in leadership and, and parenting. We also discuss the importance of seeing people how our Heavenly Father does and understanding how to walk in somebody else's shoes when they come from a different background from us. Love this conversation and, and love what we did in the second part of this as well, so stay tuned for that. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and we're going to continue our mini-series, Who We're Becoming. Our guest today is Stake President Jeff Fuller. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. And we've got a couple of people that know you pretty well. We found that out. We had a great conversation already. I had to cut it off because they were like, man, let's, let's not like waste all the good stuff. So we have Kirsten Woodward. Hello. And we also have John Sperry. Hello. So I, I wanted to start us off, guys, something fun, and then we're going to talk, just have a, a hopefully a good conversation about who we are becoming. You know, Jeff is is our guest today, but it's really a, a conversation about who we all are becoming. I like it. Yep. Who we all are becoming. All right. Great. And <laughs> I know I shared in the mini episode or the short earlier uh, about kind of my idea behind this mini series, but I wanted to expound on that a little bit. What I was really thinking is, you know, for me and, and for all of us in this room, we've seen over the years how Christ has helped to change us and we become better and different people through him. And I was hoping that as other people are able to listen to these stories that they can also see in themselves how he's been changing and working with them. So mm. that was that was the goal today. I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna slay. Uh, we're gonna as, slay it. Yeah, we're gonna totally so slay it. today. As, yep. as the kids yeah. say, as the kids say, <laughs> no <Yeah>. cap, <laughs> no cap, no cap. We are going to slay. We are going to be busting. IRL. We are busting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should stop uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm embarrassing myself. People are right now. turning the podcast <laughs> off as we speak. Oh, no. <laughs> Like what? What happened? Right. It was John Sperry when he said "bussin." It was too much. <laughs> it was too much. And we're we done. Had to be done. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I'll never, I'll I want to start with back. something fun today. We're we're gonna do our pick of the week. We did this on a couple of earlier episodes this week that we haven't actually released, but we will. We're gonna have like four at once, which should be fun. But I have to share my pick of the week it has to do with Jeff Fuller because you asked me what my order is at Wendy's and That's I said right. the chicken sandwich. And Which you is said, like such a boring Wendy's yeah, order. Let's yeah. just, and then he said, why? Chick-fil-A in the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, not in our world, though. Not yet. So. And then he said, why haven't you tried the biggie bag? And mm -hmm. man life-changing like right. what is your biggie bag order i i do, do the mix it up junior bacon cheeseburger yes yep, yep. that's the perfect hamburger I, it, is. it is it just the junior bacon cheeseburger is the perfect perfect hamburger. like mix of flavors the crispness of the lettuce, lettuce with the tomato yeah, flavor mm -hmm. yeah just like i don't get a tomato kiss. but that's yep. you know 
Do you get spicy or regular t- or nagi nugs? You can get spicy nugs in there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has opened up a whole. Um, we, we haven't had Wendy's around here for so long. I'm I've only have been, to go back. I, I haven't even twice. probably been to the new Wendy's. More but times I mean, that is like an absurd amount of food they give you for five bucks. That's a great yes. deal. That's so, a great deal. Yep. Kirsten, you can take the whole family there and I'm eat for like thirty I didn't bucks. I know this was an option. Yeah, so. biggie bag. Yeah, life changing. Yeah, this biggie. is huge. Yep. But Four things for five bucks. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What do you got as your pick of the week, John? Okay, we were talking about. I'm the diet Pepsi guy, but I'm recently going on ca- off caffeine. But still, I was recommended by somebody the strawberries and cream diet Dr Pepper with caffeine. Also, with caffeine, but. Delicious. I downed 12 of them in about two days. <laughs> How are you feeling? I, I might have overdosed, but uh, it was delicious. I actually really liked it. I know that Jeff didn't like it I that wasn't, much. I but, wasn't a big fan. But yeah. yeah that Stra- one, we had that in our house. It it flew off the shelves, yeah. so we, we can't keep it anymore. Oh, it was my brother-in-law. He bought Anyway, he, so he's like, here, you can have this. And I was just like, eh. The first sip was like, eh. Right. And then it was like, I was done. Have you tried the Mountain Dew Voodoo flavor? Oh, absolutely. That's good. Yeah, no, no, no. So uh, a shout out to Mike Wadley, by the way. Okay. Um, probably not a podcast listener, but he could be. I'll text him. Should but be. I, yeah, every, <laughs> him and I, anytime a new Mountain Dew comes out, it's just, we you are there the it. second it comes out. Even if it's like 10 o'clock at night, mm. we'll just run to the store and get some. Yeah, so, yep. good stuff. Yeah. Do they still make the orange one? Livewire. Oh, Livewire. Is that what it is? I haven't seen that when in that a long time. When that first came out, I yeah. was like, this is, this is busted. You can find it in certain <laughs> locations. 7-Eleven, I would it recommend. Was, that was my favorite. <laughs> I would say for me, like high schools when Code Red came out. That was, yep. that was right. the first new option that I had, and that was amazing. That couldn't have been high school. It was high school for me. That was high school for, what? Really? Yeah, we had Code Red when I was in high school. How old are you, John? 44. Oh, well, you were a senior. He was a freshman. No, Where'd you grow up? <laughs> Battleground, Washington. Maybe, maybe that's it. Battleground. Battleground is a little they, like they five years behind. Late. Yeah, we were a little delayed. Um, what about you, Kirsten? What's your pick of the week? So, does a pick of the week have to be food? I nope, no, it can be anything. <laughs> just because so, all of ours are food okay. items. Yeah. So I'm last week, say, yeah. Like, because I diabetes runs in my family, and I've been diagnosed with like pre-diabetes. Uh-huh. So basically, all pleasure with food has been stripped away from me. So you make such things. delicious sugary treats. <laughs> too. Know, and it's terrible. Um, oh. So I'm gonna go with a shoe. A shoe. Yes. Okay. Is that bad? No, no, no that's. Okay. that's I think that is very relevant to all of us around a this specific age. Specific shoe. Specific yeah. shoe. So here's the thing. Like I always liked to look cute and wear shoes when I was younger, and I'm on my feet all the time with teaching, and so that's just not an option. So and wearing them now. Yes, Pegasus. Oh, oh the Nike. Welcome Pegasus. to the Pegasus it is family. The best shoe. If you're on your feet all the time, Pegasus mm. is revolutionary. And if you're a runner, but so Pegasus wide is the only Nike I can wear without my feet hurting. Yeah, and I haven't had them in years because I just got hoping they're over forty problems. <laughs> so can yeah. I wear these if I'm a doctor, but I dress like a gym coach? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. Well, they're running <laughs> shoes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's cool. Nike and Pegasus. There is a shoe that every one of my kids has run in, and they're all great runners. And yeah, so we always get Pegasus. They're fantastic. Awesome. awesome. That's a great pick. What about you, Jeff? Well, mine is going to go back to food. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had the Ruffles all-dressed chips? No. All-dressed? Amazing. They're from Canada. What's the it's like dressed part? a mix of, it says on the thing, like barbecue, ketchup, vinegar. It's like, 
it's something unique and delicious. They're hard to find. They only came out for a little bit. I, I literally probably bought 10 bags because <laughs> I was scared they were going to go away. And they did. Do you have to go? So sometimes I have Canada to order to them these? on Amazon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Where'd you get them? Well, they had them here. Like just, just at, at any of the grocery store. I, I still have some bags. And if you're nice, I might let you ha- try some. Just send me like a little Ziploc of a few. <laughs> right, right. Up. Yeah. Man. So good. Just so we can taste them. Yeah. Yeah. Good I think stuff. I think we need that at this yeah. point. Yep. yep. Will do. I'll dressed. share one of my bags. <laughs> he does share, honestly. I learned that during uh, Young Men Encampment this year. Yep. His, well, his, it depends on how much I have, but <laughs> I'm just well, I was talking about road tripping yeah. with President Fuller. He shares the, yeah. the paper bag full of snacks. That was my favorite part of that trip. We have, we have so much more in common than I thought. Yeah, that yeah. is totally my thing mm-hmm. so you gotta have it drives christine nuts she'll buy like <laughs> more healthy items like pretzels and maybe like a snack mix of some sort and i have sour patch kids and licorice and you know, right oh, that'll totally be us too like yeah. camille's thing is she'll like sensibly buy healthy snacks for a, a relative price right a relatively good price <laughs> yeah. and then she'll be like how did you spend 40 bucks on candy for this one trip yeah absolutely it's pretty easy yeah and it's required you need it i think so rules of the road yep that's right right. well so let's get started here so one thing you and i have talked about over the years jeff uh, you've been a good mentor for me you know a really good mentor um but you know you've gone through a lot of stressful things in life and and changes too being called a stake president um you know you were a principal and now you've gone through a career change that we can talk more about too but i think one thing that you and i have discussed is that as you go through those times that might feel overwhelming you've learned over the years to share that with other people and to be vulnerable, particularly with Christine. I was wondering if you could share with me more what that process has been like for you. Well, I don't know if she would agree with that statement. I think that she probably thinks that I still hold too much inside. And I think I do as well. I think it's still something that I'm working on. Um, But I I have found the value of not of, of realizing that I don't need to deal with everything on my own and um and also like with uh like my calling as the stake president or even when i was serving as the bishop even you know when i was working as a principal just having part of it is that christine and i have been together for i don't know 25 something i don't know how long it's gonna be we've been married for 22 years i was gonna say you better know but (laughs) we uh met our our freshman year at byu that i don't have to like worry about what she thinks about me right i don't have to worry about whether she loves me or not you know like that's such a constant in my life that that allows me to include her more i probably don't do a good enough job of that but when i do i always feel better about it and uh so i need to keep getting better at that She's probably laughing at this podcast right now because she's like, what is he even talking about? He doesn't share anything with me. But I've, I've seen the value of that, of letting other people in, of allowing other people to to help you and to kind of like get rid of my pride and that I don't know everything and to try to listen a little bit more, to share more and uh, to seek out other advice and counsel as well. But I'm still working on it. Yeah, I just wanted to comment too, is it, and we're with some people that know you even better than I do, which is great. But you know, one thing I've noticed and appreciate with you, 
over the years is how you can share vulnerability with the congregation at church, with um, the leaders that you're trying to mentor. I, I really appreciate that about you. And, you know, I think for us, just speaking on behalf of the bishops, seeing you being able to share the your own struggles in, in the areas that you're still incomplete, mm-hmm. I think it's really helped us to feel okay talking to you about the things that we're also trying to figure out right. in our own lives. And and so I really appreciate that about you. Well, thank we you. would see that vulnerability in school and sometimes in the educational realm and in business world, you're told to mask your feelings. And I think that there was something comforting in seeing a leader that was willing to be vulnerable. And there were some intense things that we went through as a staff over the course of the 13 years that you were principal. I mean, think about the, of course, the pandemic, it would be the first that comes to mind, but then we also had a teacher that was arrested and we had- Your whole first year was like- Intense roller coaster ride of different things. And, um, And so I think that is, I find it very important that people are willing to be vulnerable, especially men that are willing to be vulnerable, because I think sometimes in that business world, we we turn off feelings and we we just are, especially in education, you can go through a lot and you shut down sometimes just to survive. I think that vulnerability vulnerability that you have made you really approachable, yeah. whereas I've had three other administrators that did not have that vulnerability. And it's really hard. Mm. It's really hard to sort of, you know, ask them for things or ask them even for advice because, I don't know, I, I, I think I trusted you more because of that vulnerability. So, Okay, so here's a question. Did you feel like being vulnerable in your 20s was a negative? Or or even like now, mm. do you think being vulnerable in a, in a, the, in your job is is a negative um i don't know that's an interesting question to reflect upon in my 20s if i i i I guess for me i don't know if i've ever been any different again like maybe christine would be like he's not vulnerable he needs to like share more with me but Mm -hmm. um but i think it's just like bringing myself to whatever it is that I'm doing and acknowledging that I don't know everything. I, as a principal, never felt like I was like above anyone. I felt, I mean, there were times where I had to make decisions and that had to come from me. But for the most part, I was a facilitator or somebody that was just trying to work alongside you or give you everything that you could to try to make your classroom as successful as possible. Um, and I, I guess I don't know if I know how to be different. So I don't see my vulnerability right now as, as a weakness. There's probably times where, you know, and I wish that I could control my emotions more at certain times. Um, but one of the things when we received this calling as the stake president, Christine and I were, we were worried that, you know, we kind of grew up in this era uh, where like we thought the stake president was like the perfect model with the perfect family, with the perfect relationship with their spouse, with, you know, that never sinned, <laughs> never, you know, I mean, it's just Are kind you? of how we <laughs> know how we grew up. And that was, that it, it was hard to kind of, disband that but we also came into it thinking we need to show people that are you know that those of us that are in leadership callings which all of us here at this table have been or are um we're just 
people along the covenant path too that um, are striving to do our best and we make mistakes and um, we have challenges. We got challenges with our kids. We have challenges in our own relationship and that we're still working on and um, with our relationship with Heavenly Father and the Savior too. So I, I don't know if I've thought of as a weakness. It, I guess it did kind of make me different at different times sometimes when there was like a need to be super masculine or something, you know, when you're growing up as I'd say maybe more as a teenager when you're more kind of aware. I've always probably not been as emotional as I am now when I like feel the spirit or different. Maybe I just didn't feel the spirit as much right. when I was a teenager <laughs> as I do now. Um, I do think there's that age in high school where vulnerability feels really dangerous, Yeah, you know, yeah. because people can, you can say something wrong and people just cling yeah. on to that yeah, for years. Exactly. Or, yeah. you know, you start crying in high school for some reason oh, and you're, you're going to be the crier for the rest yeah. of, you know. Um, and so I'm sure that was probably more of that time when I was more aware of that, I, I don't have any examples of that. And I don't know if I, it ever occurred to me or if it ever happened that I was crying and <laughs> was put in that situation as a high schooler. But, um, but now I, I can't really help it. It's just how I, how I come, I guess. I, I'm curious too, with you guys here, John and, and, and Kirsten, what have you noticed as far as, you know, the value of vulnerability in, in callings or or in your work life, you know, home life, whatever we want to talk about here? And I, I'm also curious, you know, this this is one of those like dreaded two-part questions. I, I hate that I do that so often, but, um, you know, just the challenges of becoming vulnerable or, or the process of kind of getting there. I, I'm curious, you guys' thoughts. I think when I was a new teacher, I was afraid of being wrong. Like I didn't want to be wrong in front of all these 12 and 13 year olds and then look like the idiot. Um, and that really bothered me. And it was, I don't know when it actually happened. I got to this point where I think I'd either read something related to education or maybe it might've been, it might've been when I, I taught the te teaching in the Savior's Way class. I think maybe that's when it was where it was just like, mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have to know everything. You just need to facilitate the discussion. And so now, I like I, right now I'm teaching what we call the accelerated class. And it's, you know, the smart kids. And I think if I were their age, I'd be the dumbest one in the room. But, <laughs> and they challenge me with questions and things that I've never looked at. And so I'm like, well, let's look it up, guys. You have a computer right in front of you. Let's mm -hmm. find the answer. And so it's like accepting that I don't know everything is my vulnerability because that's always what I've been hyper aware of because I don't retain information, specific information. I retain the essence of information forever, but specific names and dates and places and things, that's like my twin brother's realm. Mm -hmm. And I've always been super insecure about that because he could recall so fast. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why he's a lawyer. Um, I can't recall specifics, but I can recall the essence. And so I was, I've always been super aware of that. I've always thought it was a weakness. Um, so learning to accept that and be vulnerable in front of kids, I think has made me to where there's nothing adults can do to me or say to me that could ever ruffle me. And so the process was, I, I had to have, I had a, you've been hardened by the middle school. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it. I, I keep saying, I'm going to go teach high school one of these days and just wonder why I spent so much time in middle school. But yeah, it's like. <laughs> They've brought me to my knees, humbled me <laughs> until I was okay with it. 
And so, you know, so that's the moral of the story. Just become a just middle school teacher. Middle school, yeah. <laughs> You'll be told over and over again that you don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> Susan Oakley always used to say with like middle school students, there's nothing that you can do that I haven't seen before. There's nothing that you can say to me that I haven't heard. And it is kind of true. You get to a point where you're like, I've kind of seen a lot of that. Um, I think the the biggest experience I've had with being vulnerable and and having it be a really powerful lesson is is a parent. Mm-hmm. The more that I am able to be open or the more I'm able to say, okay, I messed up or I didn't do this right or you know whatever it is, the closer my relationships are with my children and and I'm pretty proud of the fact that I'm able to talk with my kids and they're able to come to me and talk to me about a lot of things. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know that you needed to tell me that. But (laughs) but I do think it's because of the fact that we have established this um, relationship where making mistakes is okay and being Mm -hmm. able to talk about that and and understand that this is a, a process, this life is all about um, learning and growing and developing, and that if you allow for that, I think it's super important. In in my earlier years with parenting, I thought I always had to establish authority, and mm-hmm. and, and the same with teaching, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. And I looked at it as a battle of wills, and my will needed to be stronger, and I needed to dominate in that relationship and come off as the authority figure. And then over the course of parenting, the more that I'm able to just kind of set up where I'm coming from and even at appropriate times talk about the mistakes that I've made. Right. I don't think you always need to And it's everything. like our oldest children are the ones that had to suffer the most, right? <laughs> it's like, as you look at <laughs> our oldest kids, right? Where you don't know anything, you don't know. And, and I don't know, I think I felt the same way as a parent, right? You just, you don't really allow yourself to be vulnerable, at least initially, and it's kind right. of a power dynamic. And then you quickly learn that, this whole thing of like free agency, it doesn't just apply to like Heavenly Father's plan, it applies with our kids. And it's it's gotta be one of the biggest challenges in life is um, kind of allowing your kids to grow up and to be the people that they want to be and make choices for themselves, some of which you agree with and some of which maybe not and you can see maybe the pain that might be caused from some of the decisions that they make and or you know it's like you have this vision of your kids from when they're a really young age of what they're going to be like and then Mm -hmm. when that isn't reality because that's what i wanted them to be or i you know and then to um but then to see the incredible things that they do right and that you had nothing to do with and because they right that uh, you had nothing to do with part right yeah all the work you put in trying to control the situation or trying to be the (laughs) the the authority figure really didn't do anything and it was all the right yeah right i do think that there's you know there there's that exposure there's that responsibility we have as parents to provide them with uh the foundations of the gospel to read the scriptures to teach them what we can in our homes and you know then it's 
up to them to make those choices. And I always thought like when I was, my kids were younger, that that was like going to be the hardest time as a parent, you know, because you're so tired. Come on, man. (laughs) And it just gets harder as they get older and make bigger decisions. And and you have less control. You have, you know, when they're infants or toddlers or even, you know, up until high school, really, you have so much more control over where they're at and what they do. And then... That all goes away. I was not prepared for that. Like, I didn't realize how difficult it is to parent adult children. Mm -hmm. And um, I had somebody that came up and complimented me on something that my kid had achieved. And they were like, oh, good job, mom. And I said, I don't think you get to congratulate me for that accomplishment that my child did. Because then you also have to hold me accountable for every one of their mistakes. Right. <laughs> because yeah. I'm like, yeah. you don't want that. No thanks. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and they and they are their own unique individual people, and right. they came into this world with so much of that, and their accomplishments are their own, and and their their failures are also their own agency. And and I'm obviously a part of their life, but but I also I think we have to be careful in our church culture of attributing a child's success or failure directly to their parents. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think we go to extremes in that. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know. Because I, I noticed this um, answer that you gave that I loved. The question was, is what do you hope parenting changes about you? And you said, the greatest may be something I'm still trying to figure out about supporting my kids as they discover who they are and who they want to be rather than just expecting them to be the person that I think they should be. Mm-hmm. And that to me was really profound mm-hmm. because we have expectations tied to our kids about oh, what wow. they're going to do, what they're going to achieve. But we also have to recognize that they have to forge their own path at their own pace with their own agency. Right. Yeah. Parenting is like, it's like being a scientist running an experiment without a control group. <laughs> but the, pro- the problem with that is I think a lot of times we, especially as members of the church or it just anybody in society probably does, is they look at who they think is doing it right and they use those kids as the control. And when their kids aren't having the same results, they get frustrated. And I think we tend to too often compare how, oh, the Fullers are doing such a good job with their kids and my kids are, you know, whatever, you know, it's like we we do this comparison. It's like, you can't, that'll drive you insane. Right. And, and that happens. So for like, especially the young parents, you, we all get caught up in that whole like, oh, the way I'm doing this with my baby is from this book. And the way I'm doing this, this blogger was, you know, right. it's like all these, it's like, just, just raise your kids. You know, there's no control. There's no, the, the experiment is not failing. Um, just trust the process and stay close to the Lord. Right. I think too, like measuring external successes as well. I, I know it's not just a problem in our church culture, but you know, I, I think just meeting your kids, Jeff, or or you know, any of you guys as kids, you know, I, I think we could compare the external successes. But you know, when I when I meet them, you know, and I actually say like, I just met James a while ago. He's like an awesome person mm-hmm. like and and that's what dude. i i want to value about that you know um i just i, I don't know I, I feel like that's an important thing too that we move towards is is what kind of people 
they actually are at their core as opposed to any, you know, external measurable outcome. Right. Right. I had just had this conversation with my parents last time I was home, I think, because my mom kept introducing me as a stake president. And I was like, and I don't know if that's like a generational thing. I was like, I am nobody's stake president here. Like, can you just say that I'm your son? Right. Like that's the thing that is the most value right. in my relationship with my parents. Right. I was like, I don't want that to be the identifier for me. Right. right. That's not how, and it's not I something you practiced years for and <laughs> that I achieved and I accomplished. Like, yeah, absolutely. And so, but I do think what you shared right there at the end, John, is maybe the most important is and thing that I'm still learning is, you know, just seeing how Heavenly Father works with us as parents and that we're never in it alone. And that, I mean, it's hard. Being a parent is so hard. And it's also the most rewarding and amazing and wonderful thing. But it's, uh, you know, the more that you are, I mean, it's just another reason to live worthy of the spirit because you need it every single day (laughs) and what you say and what you're going to do and how you respond to situations. And, you know, I think on the other uh, podcast, Jason always asks the question, you know, like about things that you regret. And I mean, I can think of a thousand things with my kids that I regret or things that I could take back or say differently or handle a situation differently. And and you just have to kind of learn from those mistakes and not try to carry too much of that as well. Because the other part is that the atonement is real, even for us as parents, as we're trying to figure out how to be parents <laughs> and how to do things. And we're going to make mistakes and you can not only rely on our Heavenly Father for guidance, but also our Savior through the atonement, we can learn how to just love more and to respond better and to to be better. So, but it's, I mean, I'm sure we'll be striving for that for the rest of our lives, you know, when we're 80 years old and our kids are, you know, grandparents themselves. um, One of the biggest, do you want to? I I, I just really quickly, you know, I just thank you for that because I I think that a lot of the time in in our church speak, in our our culture, we, we focus so much on, you know, just how critical the outcome is with with what happens with our children and the responsibility that we bear there. And I think just a reminder to parents and to myself, I'll try to reflect more on is like the atonement is still there for me. Like, mm-hmm. and and we have a merciful God. Luckily, oh, yeah, right? I think that our heavenly Father and is more merciful than we could ever imagine. And I I think honestly, speaking on that vulnerability topic, one of the areas I've seen the greatest mercy to is the kids being willing to forgive. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> for stuff that I messed up on. Right. Which I, I think is a pretty neat part of relationship as they get older. Right. Probably not as a three-year-old. Three-year-olds will hold a grudge. <laughs> but right. what were you saying, Kirsten? I was just going to say, piggybacking off of that idea of the long haul, I think as a parent, even in the past year, I've gotten a bigger perspective on my time versus Lord's time and that there's – there's a lot of time for change to mm-hmm. happen. And that um, the power of not measuring necessarily my child's relationship with Christ, although that's important, but more being what I have control over is my relationship with Christ. And, and your relationship with your child. And a relationship with my mm-hmm. child. And, and being careful about assuming 
where someone's at on the covenant path and assuming where someone's at in their relationship with Christ and and assuming what their goals are and and just being open to listen. I do a lot more because I'm a problem solver. And so <laughs> if my co- child comes no. to me, is that shocking to you? I'm like, okay, so here's how we're going to fix this. And this yeah. is what we're going to do. And, and trying to pull that back and just go and tell me more about that. And right. how are you feeling? And what are you going to do next? And those are really powerful conversations. And, and I've learned that lesson from you two men that are sitting here because in working with you, You've taught me more the power of questioning and being able to just give time. My husband's a great example of somebody who's like, mm-hmm. give it 24 hours and let's see how it yeah. resolves itself. And I'm like, no, oh my gosh, we got to get in there. And he goes, Kirsten, just stop. It might solve itself. And that's... Especially with your kids. Like work problems have to be solved right now. Right. But like with kids, the hardest thing for me is like... Every one of my family members hates that as soon as I see that they're upset, I'm like in their face. What's wrong? What happened? Do you want to solve it? (laughs) Yeah, I I do. We've seen that with your kids at school. (laughs) (laughs) Like your biological children at school. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. Yeah. Patience is not my strong suit. I think (laughs) that you may have seen this as a bishop as well. It's one of the things that I learned as a bishop that I, because I also just want to, you want to like solve people's problems. You want to try to relieve pain or you want to try to relieve suffering as quickly as you can or give them whatever that they might need when sometimes them doing that work themselves is really what's going to get them to the point that they need to be, right? Like if we're just solving it for them, especially for other adults and some of like, and like, that's at least how I felt as a, as a bishop sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it is more about listening and supporting and helping and, um, um, rather than just trying to solve the problem. And I think it goes into that vulnerability topic a bit again, because the strength to admit like, Hey man, I, I might not be able to solve this for you. You know, that takes guts to be able to say, and, and especially following up and saying like, but I'm going to be here to love you mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to work with you. Um, but you might have to take this journey partially on your own here and, and not really on their own because if they invite the savior right. into it he'll be there but yeah yeah i love that i mean just another disclaimer i'm not like uh, really good at some of this stuff right i'm sure that owen and my kids would be like dad never admits that he's wrong <laughs> which you know it's something that you always have to keep working on right so I was getting mad at Owen the other day. I was like, well, uh, trying to force him to admit that he was wrong. And he's like, well, you never do. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. You're like, I'm going to call <laughs> this, is so, this is this That's is true. so untrue. <laughs> <laughs> That's so not true. <laughs> I was going to say right. earlier, it's like when Kirsten was talking, I'm like, oh, apparently your children never weaponize your vulnerability. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. mine sure do. <laughs> so. You tell him. I'm trying to be vulnerable right now. <laughs> right. I'm just going to make a better relationship for us. Well, no, a week run. later, he'll or she will throw it back in my face. <laughs> yeah. Right. One of the things that I've I've learned as I'm getting older is, and and, and I think also as the church has um, done a better job of helping us to understand our covenants a little bit better. I feel like that's one of the things that President Nelson is really focused on, and even being able to look in the handbook and read about the covenants that you make in the endowment. Right. Everybody can look at that. The whole world could go on to the website and look and see what those covenants are. And, you know, as it relates to this, it's really, you know, that the covenant of, of the, the law of the gospel, 
which is, you know, to love God and to love our fellow men. And I mean, as a parent, as a boss, as a bishop, as a state, I mean, there's nothing more that you could do more of, right? Is just continuing to learn how to, to love people and to try to see them the way that our heavenly father does. And, um, I think that's why, like, when you talk about vulnerability at the school or, I mean, I, I think just being blessed with the gospel in our lives and then seeing the struggles that so many of our students would have. I mean, it's, it's almost like a curse to be able to like try to see them through. Cause even in our work, you know, like you probably experience Mm -hmm. this as a doctor, um, you know, when you see them the way that our heavenly father does and you just want to, you know, do whatever you can to try to help them to be successful or to have the things that they need. I'm really grateful to be in the position that I'm in. And I think probably you guys in the public school system as well, because I don't have the option of not walking in other people's shoes because I have to see where people come from, from different walks of life every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's helping to soften my heart. And I'm glad that I had that experience before becoming a bishop. Yeah. Well, I think one of the blessings from the pandemic for us as educators was that, you know, all of a sudden we had a window into every single one of our students' homes. We saw some chaos. We saw, you know, I mean, of course, we also saw like beautiful spaces that had been set up by parents and or, you know, or by the kids, too. But, you know, but we also saw some just. Yeah, I remember watching on my screen and there was a girl and I was looking at the background and I couldn't figure out where she was because she had a bunch of cowboy boots behind her. And then all of a sudden this drawer comes out and I realize she's standing at a cash register. She's doing a transaction. And so she's working in her parents' store. They probably had to let all the employees go. She's attending my class because her phone is propped up listening to my lecture, but she's working with the customer Mm -hmm. doing a transaction. And I'm like, Wow, this is a seventh grader. Middle school kid. This is what they're going through. Could I have even come close to working as a salesperson and attending a class and passing that class at the same time? And that's just one example. Well, and for us as administrators, we were, I mean, I don't know how many home visits I made during those years, just dropping off things for people that didn't come pick them up or that didn't have a car to be able to come pick up their supplies. Or, you know, we made so many home visits and got to see also like physically people's homes. And then when they came back to school, it was like, you couldn't not picture that. And, you know, it was really hard to get frustrated with a kid when I could picture what their house, you know, the kind of chaos that they might have lived in, or at least the challenges that maybe we wouldn't have been able to see just in a regular classroom. And so that definitely changed me as an educator and um, trying to, again, just kind of see people as like whole people with the challenges that they bring and that we all, that we are all facing in different ways. And I think there's a dichotomy there where I see students who have such disadvantage, you know, Mm. whatever the disadvantage is, most of the time it's economic or family relationships at a disadvantage with so much potential. And you're just like, I wish I could just sort of cocoon you in, you know, this thing where you could let your potential sort of blossom. And then the other side of that coin is I see my own children with all the advantage that they have. Not reaching that potential. <laughs> and and so this is that's my frustration. It's like I want to coddle this one up to where they could be and you know make sure my own children are getting up to use, using their advantage, you know. Yeah. And it's 
driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty incredible. And I, I think one thing you and I have talked about is over the years, I, this kind of leads right into it, but over the years, you've been able to step back and better recognize, you know, how we do have different privileges and we do have mm -hmm. different backgrounds and advantages kind of going forward. I, I know there are a few things. I think there are some conferences you attended that mm -hmm. helped you a lot in that regard. But could you talk more just about, you know, yeah, what I think, you've learned? Yeah, one of these questions is one of the things that I've really... Um, or learn that's I think improving my life and this this summer especially I went to a conference in my new position they asked me to go to this conference for, through the Center for Educational Equity and I was kind of went begrudgingly because it was a whole week and it was in in a small town I was going to say the name of the town but uh, a small town in Oregon because they kind of wanted people to kind of be a little bit isolated during this time just to have this like rich experience <laughs> and uh, it ended up being a conference there was 40 people that were there and I believe of the 40 people maybe 10 or 11 of us were white and they're all all educators, some administrators, some teachers, um, mostly, you know, uh, Latin or Hispanic uh, educators, so several uh, educators that were black. Um, and the whole conference was focused on just like understanding who you are and what you bring into a space, identifying what privileges you have. And it was just eye-opening. The fir very first night, we were at this conference center. It was freezing in there. You know how sometimes it's like you never know what yes. it's going to be. It's either going to be like too hot or too cold. They told us to like dress for summer and that we didn't have to dress professionally. So I only brought shorts, you know. And so I was like, I have to go buy some pants. <laughs> so I had to drive to go buy some pants at Fred Meyer. And uh, it was like 10 o'clock at night by the time we it, the conference went to like nine o'clock. And so it was, you know, pretty late in the evening that I went to go buy those pants and got them and got back in my car. The next morning I woke up, I went for a run um, in this place that I didn't know. And then I went to the conference and then I got there and I was sharing that. And, you know, there's this, uh, a black female educator who was like, I would never go out on my own in a town like this where I don't know anyone. And I don't know what these people are like, right? Like, I just don't know you know, where I would go. And I don't know if I'd feel safe. And I don't know what that would be like. And then I was talking to another guy who um, is, uh, was, it was a gay Mexican teacher, male teacher. And I was talking about that. Oh, I went running. Did you work out? And he's like, well, I just stayed here at the hotel. Because again, you know, I didn't know if I could feel safe and going out in in public. And it just was this like, mind blowing thing of like, I didn't think twice about any of those experiences, right? right? Like, I didn't have to. That's like the privilege that I hold as a white man, that I can really go into almost any space and never really think about um, how I'm going to be received or accepted or, or what that might look like. And, um, and then I just kept thinking about all these experiences and people that I've had in my life and just trying to identify what that privilege is, trying to understand, um, some of the just differences that people have to deal with throughout their lives in different spaces. And, you know, in, in our state that is, you know, very, uh, very white and has some, you know, tough history when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I also just think about the incredible work that our church is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And like the, the work that president Nelson's doing with and not just president Nelson, but kind of led by him with the NAACP, um, hearing about that award that he just received, right. Mm -hmm. The, 
Gandhi something award that he received. I don't know if you got to watch that mm -hmm. uh, speech that he gave after that. You know, scholarships for some black students, opportunities for some black young folks to go back to Africa and learn about their heritage and just big donations to large communities, you know, in Philadelphia and some other major centers where there's um, some uh, some need. And uh, I think we've just heard over and over again. I loved Elder Suarez's talk from this last conference. And we're kind of being beaten over the head, and I don't know how well we're listening about mm -hmm. it, that, you know, as a church, we need to get rid of prejudice. You know, I, I wrote down one of these, uh, one of the quotes from President Nelson was that we need to lead out in abandoning attitudes and actions of prejudice. So not just get rid of them ourselves, but we need to be the leaders in that, right? Like, we need to lead out in abandoning these attitudes, not just get rid of them ourselves, but we need to, you know, really be leaders of that. And I, I loved uh, Elder Suarez's talk and um, about just being brothers and sisters. And, you know, he shared that uh, kind of parable or something about like, when do you know that it's the next day or something? And, mm -hmm. and they kind of went through those. Do you remember that? And the, at, the, at the end, it was like, mm -hmm. when I can look across the table and see that it's my brother or my sister, right? And so... I just always pray pray for that to be able to see people in that way and to also see you know the privilege that I have to see some of the challenges or the suffering that other people might be be going through as well and I think just in the world that we live in both in medicine and education we see that wide spectrum you know and we see the challenges and we see um see that difference so I think we do. And honestly, for me too, just traveling around the country through my, throughout my education, you know, opened my eyes a bit because I, I, I was kind of blinded to the issues that growing up. But, oh, yeah. you know, I go to Florida for my residency training and, <laughs> and most of the doctors in my training program are black. Yeah. And it's just interesting talking to them about, you know, what our interaction has been like with the police, for example, is like, for me, it's like, well, I probably cried my way out of a ticket once, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, for them, it's like, they were usually pulled over by a cop without reason, or had a, a bad interaction with them at some point. Um, that was scary, right? Um, at some point in time, they were told that they weren't as good of a doctor because they're black, you know, yeah. and they would rather have a white doctor. You know, I I haven't been through that, right? And so that that was something that really opened my eyes personally. I know there's a lot of other examples out there. I just, it, and we can you know go deeper in this, but I was I was just curious. I know the other side of this, right? Obviously, is that our kids are learning about this, and there can be a lot of shame mm -hmm. as they look and try to learn about the differences in our our privilege and about discrimination, and they can feel like it's not okay to be white. Right. Um, I just, I was curious, I know I'm putting you guys on the spot, but how do you kind of navigate those waters where helping them to learn, but not feel shame? I think, well, first of all, I want to say there's a lot of confusion I see at the middle school level over mm -hmm. race and what racism is and what it isn't. Um, if you even say, you know, this is a black man, some kids will go, oh, oh you can't say that. And I'm like, yes, right. I can. This, that's okay. So there's a lot. So helping them understand what is okay and what is not. Um, and, and I see it a lot in with microaggressions of, of students that will say mm -hmm. things that I'm like, just educating them to what you just said 
doesn't make people feel comfortable, doesn't make them feel safe, and and understanding that, and and being careful about how you have those conversations. Um, and I mean, and that's something we do weekly. I mean, it's just something I had to deal with this this past week of being able to to educate them and be able to show this is not appropriate and this is why it's not appropriate. Um, but I also think it's it's about being very honest about history and being honest about um, culture and 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 saying we're going to have some co- tough conversations here, and we're going to allow a dialogue where people are going to feel comfortable, and that you have to pro- create a classroom environment where students are going to feel safe to be able to have those conversations. Which would apply to your home as well, right? right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's exactly. And and that's that whole thing of being able, because no one's going to open up and tell their vulnerabilities if they don't feel that they're safe. Um, but but I think we have to be having these conversations. And we can't just assume that because most of the people that we associate with are white, that we don't need to talk about it. Because if you don't, you know, your your kids are going to be exposed to it and question well i think it is that like you look at examples like president nelson who's trying to build bridges and trying to you know do what he can and i mean it'd be easy for us to sit back and feel guilty right i think we we talked about this at our bishopric training where Mm -hmm. this year at state conference i was just looking out there and i was like man our congregation does not reflect our community you know, we, it was a sea of white folks for the most part, right? And which is fine. I mean, I'm glad that all of them were there, right? right? That's great. But if you think about like the demographics of our city of Springfield, I mean, we're missing There's a lot of people, right? Too. Like yeah. we're, and, 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 it, and it's, of course, everybody's choice to join the church and to join the gospel. But are we, are, are there things that we might be doing that are excluding people that might look different than us? I mean, here we are again, just like four white folks sitting around right. a table talking yeah. about this. So, um, but, you know, so I always just think about ways that we can reach. I think that I would say that from the conference that I attended, you know, if people are like, if, if you were to say that you felt guilty as a white person, they'd get mad at you, right? Like, it's just, again, part of your, like, whiteness that you could even, like, your privilege that you can feel guilt, right? One of the things that stood out to me from it, though, is that we were supposed to bring an artifact, like a cultural artifact to share. And for me, it was hard to think of like a cultural artifact for me, right? Like I ended up bringing a, a, a tennis ball that represented athletics and sports because that's such a huge part of my family and it could fit in my back. <laughs> but, you know, the things that other people were bringing from like, you know, especially like people of color, you know, that were bringing from their country, their home countries, or, you know, they just identify with their culture. So, I mean, you probably experienced this in Puerto Rico, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um or like even on missions and things like that, you know, it's just such a different experience to really kind of identify with with who we are. So I think, you know, even for us to understand our culture and our history, and I think that's that's important too. It's interesting when people ask me about my culture, um, you know, American is not a culture. I always go to the church. Like mm-hmm. the church is my culture, you yeah. know, because Matt and I have these conversations quite frequently. I have a friend that we have these 
deep philosophical conversations and we talk about our culture and he's been spending a portion of his later adult later middle adult life um tracking down his ancestry and his family and examining american heritage and you know trying to sort of get into the culture and for me i'm like i know exactly where i came from you know Mm -hmm. i know i know the pioneer heritage of the church i'm a child of god and you know it's like and i tell him these things and he he is super respectful but i'm like i can just sort of feel the eye roll when like that's not a real culture but to me that's my Mm -hmm. whole life and so a cultural element i would have brought was i mean their scriptures, the scriptures, the Book of Mormon, the yeah. Book of Mormon but like mm-hmm. a, a pioneer journal or, yeah. you know, like the Trek clothing, you know, yeah. it's like, this is my culture. And so it's really hard when I, when I have these discussions, especially with race, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm the kind of person who likes to look, take the machine apart and see all the parts mm-hmm. and the whole race and the, the, the marginalized people aspect. There's so many par- moving parts to this thing. It's like a it's like a watch. If you've ever dissected a watch, where it's like, yes, there's the, you know, there's this aspect and there's that aspect. But like with kids, you have the kids who feel bad about being white, and then you have the kids who have taken this whole thing and they're like, oh, you're gonna talk trash about my culture of being white. Yeah. I'm gonna double down. Yeah, and you know, it's and it's creating this. vast separation and it's like so frustrating because i feel like i'm trying to keep up with you know two things like making sure one group doesn't feel a certain way and the other one doesn't act a certain way you Mm -hmm. know and it's uh it's so tricky and so when you ask that question how do we deal with it i'm like in the moment with the understandings that we have from the gospel, our professional training. Um, like we have these professional development trainings in diversity and equity constantly. And it's like, sometimes I'm like applying those strategies on faith. Yeah, right. I love that. I love that reference to like the the scriptures, right? We've just been studying the life of the Savior. And there's not, a, I mean, as in all things, there's not a better example, right? If you look at who he served and where he served and even sometimes standing up against the cultural traditions of the time or even the laws of the the land or of the, at least of the religion at the time uh, to serve and reach out to other people. And so I think whatever that that can look like. and It's so challenging for me because my formative years I lived um, in Puerto Rico. I went to an international school. And so I was surrounded by so many different races and had such an amazing experience being with all of them. And I mean, there was people from Cuba and Africa and Europe and Asia and of course, Puerto Rico and, and all of that diversity. And so, and I loved it. I, I just wanted to learn everything I could about food and dance and culture and just ways of saying things. And so for me, the world is this amazing place with all these different things to offer. And and I just, I get excited about different culture. And I, I'm always talking to my children about, let's go to the Asian festival and let's go to the Scandinavian festival and let's go and meet these people. Like I'm trying to bring in as much as I can for them to have a love and appreciation about every single person has something unique to offer. And I had a student last year 
who kept, um, he was Asian and he kept disparaging himself in front of the class. And I held him afterwards and I was like, why are you doing that? And he goes, doing what? And I said, why do you always put yourself down? Why do you always make those jokes about your culture? And he's just like, well, I don't know. And I said, I think you should be proud of who you are. And, and I don't think you need to worry about the fact in this classroom that someone's going to make fun of you, so you have to make fun of yourself before that. I'm like, because you have a beautiful mm, culture, yeah. and you need to share that, and you should be proud of that. And I don't ever want to hear you say that again. And so for me, just expressing that love of, you know, like if, if students want to speak Spanish in my classroom, I eat it up. I'm like, that's fantastic. Keep talking. You know, let's let's – Let's do that. I had a student a number of years ago that was put in my class that didn't speak a word of English that was from China. And I had people coming in and teaching the rest of the class Chinese so that we could learn to talk with her. I just, I love all of that diversity. And I think that um, we're missing out so much if we don't teach our children to love that everybody has something yeah. to offer. Well, I love, it made me think back to Elder Suarez's talk. Remember he talked about that waterfall, is it in Brazil? Like Iguazu Falls or something like talk. that. It was <laughs> the Saturday evening. It was the Saturday oh, yeah. evening session. Um, oh, yeah, that could have been nap time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he talked about this incredible waterfall that brings in all these tributaries. I can't remember how many it is. And then there's it's like one of the seven wonders of the world. I don't know. What, uh, do you remember what it was called? Anyway, but like each of there's this huge waterfall, but there's all these differences in the waterfalls, right? The way that it falls, the way that it looks, the way, where where that it comes from but then it's beautiful because it's all together right which is like the gospel of jesus christ right we're a better church we're a better society when we have differences right and i love i mean everybody loves to read about in fourth nephi when there's like after christ has come and there's these hundreds of years of peace right and love and it just feels great but that doesn't mean that everybody was the same right and that yeah. it wasn't that everybody was the, exactly the same they were unified in the gospel of jesus christ but they all had their differences they all bring something else we're way better right like you see that as in, in any service that you guys have done in the church that we're better when we have have differences around us and people bring different things to the table so oh thank you so much i, I like where that conversation went and um i i took a couple of things away and from you john i, I think even I'll, I'll try to reflect more on just how much the church you know is a part of my culture you know and and really having that love and pride for that part of my life mm -hmm. in that way um, and I think, you know, from you, Jeff, you're Christian, it's like, listen to what the church leaders are saying about this issue, mm -hmm. right? You know, do not look further than that, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like those are the sources <laughs> for us to look at. They're right? not hiding it, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're coming right out with it. And I think they're challenging us to do that too. Stay tuned for part two of this podcast.